listen, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, sorry for whatever hiccups we've The live stream is working, I believe, and if it's not, if you're out there watching, well, if it's not, who am I talking to? If it is, if it is working, though, let us know what we can improve. I, somebody had texted me about something else, or, so I don't know, whatever. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where I want to be with you today. And if you are blessed by today's message, and if you would like to share it with somebody else, the title of today's message on YouTube or Facebook or our website is going to be uh, Poisonous Piety. Poisonous Piety. So that's where you can find that. So if you go to Matthew chapter 6, I want to tell you a story as you're turning there. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's called uh, The Emperor's Clothes or The Emperor's New Clothes. It's, it's kind of fairly famous, and I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it. You can probably Google it and find it. But the Cliff Notes version of this story is this. And it's not The Emperor's New Groove. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That's not it, okay? The Emperor's New Clothes. And this is how this works. There's this emperor. There's this king. And he is, uh, I guess, what we would call in our modern-day culture kind of a fashionista or a fashion... I don't know, maybe a fashionista is a girl, so I don't know, fashion Esther? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so he likes clothes, he likes fashion, he's the king, so he can afford it, right? And so he searches out all the land, and he commissions somebody to make him the best, the best garment any king has ever worn. He wants to look notch. And so what he does is he finds these tailors that tell him they're going to make him a, a, a set of clothes that are just so fabulous uh, so amazing that only people who are truly worthy of his grandeur as a king will be able to appreciate them. So the king thinks to himself, well, that sounds great. Yeah, you got the job. Go ahead. Make me this wonderful garment that you're talking about, right? And so they begin the work. And over a short period of time, the king sends messengers in to report back to him because he's excited and he wants to see this garment. He wants reports on it. Fact of the matter is, is that any time he would send the, the first guy he sent, he sent him out, and he was watching these tailors work on this garment. It looked like like they were almost just mime. That to the king, because remember what they said: only the people who are truly worthy of your grandeur are able to see this. And so, of course, he went back and he told them all about how wonderful this garment was going to look. The king was excited, so time passed. He sent another guy, sent another guy. Same story every time. They could not see what it was that they were working on, but they had dare not return that message to the king. So instead, they came back and continuously had one story after another. As you can imagine, it's one of those old man's fishing stories where it just continued to get better and better and better as they went until one day, the king, in all his glory, completely birthday-suited, walked through his kingdom in all his pomp and circumstance, to all the oohs and ahs of the crowd who would give fame glory to the king of his amazing, magical outfit that only those who were truly worthy of his goodness could actually see. Now, the moral of the story is this king was completely and utterly humiliated because what he was doing is walking through the streets completely naked. Nobody was able to tell him that because of his pride and because of their own self-preservation. They would lie to the king and tell him that this suit was so great And only the children were the ones who had enough guts to ask mom, why is the king walking through our streets naked? Well, on the flip side, we tend to do something very similar. 
See, the fact is, is that God sees our hearts, even though the outside world sees our outsides. We might think that we have put together an amazing suit of grandeur, but the fact is, is that God sees right through it. And so as we talk about Matthew 6, I want to talk about poisonous piety. That there is a level of religion and of Christian practice that can actually be damaging to us, and I would even go so far as to say poisonous to us, unless we are aware of it. And that's what I think Jesus talks about today in chapter 6. So we're going to look at chapter 6, not all of it in all of its depth, for I cannot do justice to this entire sermon, the best sermon you've ever heard, which is preached by Christ, chapters 5 through 7 as we walk through this. Uh, But as we go into that, before we dive into it, would you please join with me in prayer? God, our Father, as we look at this text, we ask that you would help preserve us from poisonous piety. We pray that you would help reveal to us the foolishness of outward religious practice, and that by your grace, we would be able to examine our own hearts before you, that the judgments we would render on ourselves would be righteous and true, because you have told us if we judge ourselves, and we'd not be judged. And I think what you're talking about there, Lord, is that when we hold ourselves to your standard, that you will be pleased to give us grace and mercy when we come to you, understanding that we have fallen far short. So God, as we look at these three principles that Christ is going to talk about in chapter 6, let us examine our hearts and see where we may be practicing poisonous piety. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is going to talk about uh, three main issues that are very uh, religious, I guess you might say. Christ warns against spiritual pride. Spiritual pride destroys many of us, many Christians. Satan uses spiritual pride to hinder God's work. Often people with spiritual pride keep others from attending God's house. Perhaps you're here because you were burned at another church. Perhaps you've been attending Elegant Bible Church long enough to see people who have left because they might have been burned from this church. If you stick around long enough, I'm sure that I will offend you in some way even though that's not my goal. But the three areas he's going to talk about is giving, praying, and fasting. See, our giving, our praying, our fasting should be sacred. It should be secrets between us and God. And yet often, especially during this time, they were not. So the first thing Jesus is going to talk about is giving. Now before we talk about that, I want to make something clear to you. There are several different kinds of giving talked about in Scripture. The kind of giving that is talked about here, I believe, in the ESV, nails it. Um, Well, maybe, actually, I can't remember what it says in the ESV. I look at a couple different translations. A good translation would be alms giving. The giving particular of this word, alms, means giving to the needy, giving to the poor. In Scripture, there are several different kinds of giving, okay? Some of them are offerings tithes, and then this, which would be considered almsgiving. And I want to talk about all of that in just a minute. But before we do that, let us go to God's Word, okay? So uh, you can read it with me. Hopefully you can read it up there. I think it's big enough. This is what it says. If not, surely you can read it in your copy of God's Word. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Any of you ever heard that, that, that old saying, they were tooting their own horn? I think this is where this comes from. He says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a couple principles that we see here. But I want to first cover the different kinds of giving so we have a frame of reference. Firstly, I want to talk about tithing. Historically and biblically, tithing is this idea of bringing our first fruits to God. We see this all the way back in in Genesis with Cain and Abel, actually. And we see that the one brother, out of his love for God, brings the first fruits, and the other brother, it says, after a season of time, just brings some of his production. And so you see right there, we're talking about the heart of it. Now, this isn't a sermon about giving in in totality, it's, it's, it's really uh, Jesus' sermon about the heart and poisonous piety, right? Right religion. But what he's talking about here is giving to the needy. So there's tithing. That's its whole other thing. We talk about giving 10%. We talk about giving 10% of whatever we bring in. Uh, people debate over whether that should be over the net or the gross. I don't even know. I'm, I know I should know the difference. But when I get a check, I sign it, I give it to my wife like a good husband, and then that's all I do with it. So, no, I'm, well, that's true, but I mean, I'm not, that's not necessarily good, you know, whatever. So, net and gross, you can tithe 10% off of that, right? And so what that's supposed to do is that 10% or, or that first fruits is supposed to go to, the, to your church, the church that you're involved with. So if you're watching this online and you don't attend Elegant Bible Church, and you have another church that is actually your church home, but you're unable to attend right now because of the different things that are going on, then give to that church, okay? But this is the idea. This is, this is what you do with this money. We pay the light bill. You pay my salary. You pay for the other ministries that we do, for benevolence, for all these other things, whether it's paying the water and the light and, and those kind of things, or whether you're paying my salary or whether we're giving it to the community for other things or whether we're updating the facility with different stuff, that's what that goes to. And that's good, and that's right for us to do. That's an old biblical practice that happened for a long, long time. But that's tithing. There's another thing called bringing offerings. This should be over and above whatever you're normally giving. This is something that you do because God has prompted you to do it. Or maybe there's a special fund that you want to give to. And then this last one that Jesus is talking about here in this text is actually something over and above that, which is just simply giving to the needy. You see, back when Jesus was giving this message, there was no Social Security. There was no welfare. There were no food banks. There were nothing like that. And so it was on behalf of the Jewish people of that time to take care of the folks that were out and about. This is what he talks about when he says true religion is care for widows and orphans, okay? And so this is over and above what we generally as Western Americans think of, because my guess is 
when you read this first, you thought of when I give to the church. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. These Jews would be giving to the temple. The temple tax would be happening anyway. This is over and above what they're supposed to do based on their religious practice. So keep that in mind. So as we think about that, strictly just giving to the needy, there are some principles, I think, biblical principles, that I think Jesus would want us to employ as we look at the difference between poisonous piety and a right relationship with Christ and practicing religion out of that, right? Or practicing our traditions out of that, if that makes sense. So he assumes, by the way, that we are going to be giving to the poor. And so I have made an acronym. Do you guys like acronyms? Too bad. We're having them anyway. <laughs> and so in the military, we have an acronym for everything. And so I'm going to use GIVE as the acronym for this to talk about the four things that I think what Jesus is talking about here. So the first thing that we should do as we think about uh, paying alms or, or giving, and when he talks about not to let the right hand know what the left hand is doing, um, that's why I think this is over and above what we're talking about here, because many of you guys will either use online, and it'll be tied to your bank account, so we give you a giving statement at the end of the year, or you'll write a check. Some of you guys still use cash and, and throw that in the offering plate, although we don't have an offering plate, we have the thing. But what it says here is for, and remember, this is over and above that. This is giving to those who are in need. I think Jesus talks about here giving generously. Why do I say that? Because I think of who Christ is. What did Christ hold back from you? Let that be your bar for how generous you are to others. Because I believe that he held absolutely nothing back from us. He gave up all of his glory and his honor that he had from the beginning with the Father and came and take, took on flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived with us. He put up with us, like guys like Peter. Man, is that taxing. And he puts up with you and I. And more than that, he gives. He gives of himself. He gives of his glory. He gives of his mercy, his grace. He gives you his kingdom. So as his sons and daughters, as we are giving, we ought to be generous. Second concept is intentional. Intentional. Remember, there are passages in Scripture where it says, if he doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, right? But it also says, the one that we talked about before, that true religion is care for the widows and the orphans. And he gives stipulations for widows who may still have family members. Those family members ought to take care of them. This is all in Scripture. And so when we give, we ought to be intentional. It is good for you to give to things other than Allegan Bible Church, and I hope that you are. I hope that you are giving to missionaries individually. Yes, we support missionaries through your giving to Elegant Bible Church, but I hope that you are at a place where you can also give to missionaries on your own. Or other parachurch organizations. There are others that we partner with, like um, Positive Options, right? Or Barnabas, Kids Ministries. Or Fellowship for Christian Athletes. Or Youth for Christ. Or whatever. And I'm not saying we partner with all those financially. Right? Necessarily. But you should give intentionally. What that means is, because we live in a different society, because we live in a different context, 
when Jesus was talking about this, he was picturing, and probably even in his purview, could have been orphans. Now, I know our kids are dirty sometimes, often their feet, right? But think of these dirty, hungry little kids that were around the outskirts of this group of adults who are sitting down to listen to Jesus' message as he teaches them with authority, kind of in and around the crowd, seeking if maybe they could get a handout. I have to imagine this. As Jesus is up on the mountain, people are sitting on the sidelines and, and they're, they're listening to him, and of course that brings a crowd. And so the curious children would be there looking for something. Or what about the widows? Who back... In, the, in this time, the husbands were the primary breadwinner. Maybe it's the same in your household, maybe not. But once the husband died, they were absolutely destitute. And so what I mean by intentionally is this. Some of us, if we're honest, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning, some of us, when we see that guy on the side of the road asking for food or for help, we think to ourselves, when we make a judgment call automatically that says, He's into drugs or alcohol or something in his life has gone wrong. I'm not giving to that man. You might be right in your judgment. You might be all wet. But you can still give generously and intentionally. You can give food. You can give water. You can give hope. You can give a Bible track. You can give a gift card or something like that. What I'm saying here is not only generously, but intentionally should we be giving. He assumes that we are doing it. Remember the text? You read it. He says, when you give to the needy. He's assuming we do it, so we ought to be looking for opportunities to do it, shouldn't we? If he's assuming we do it, we all should be intentionally seeking out these opportunities to give and to give generously. And then that leads me to the next one, which means a variety. What I mean by that is, your brother or sister, your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, anyone who's related to you by blood, unless it's second cousin twice removed, I don't think counts here. Jesus would say something like this, hey, good, you're giving to your, your brother or sister, even the Gentiles do that. That's how he might say something like that to these Jewish brothers and sisters who are listening to this during this time. I think we ought to give in a variety of ways. So not just one missionary at one time, but maybe multiple missionaries at different times, different parachurch ministries. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, excitedly. Because my guess is, again, if you're anything like me, when people start talking to you about giving more money away, you don't think to yourself, yippee. And I think that shares something with us about our hearts, doesn't it? Now, here's what the text says. These people are going through the streets, and they're, sound, they're tooting their own horn, literally, apparently, right? Through the streets with a trumpet blast, and they're doing this not out of excited love to serve the Father, but rather out of the excitement of the high that they get from other people giving them attaboys and accolades for their generosity. He says they do this that they may be praised by others. He says that they're doing this not out of excitement, not out of generosity, not intentionally, except for to be noticed, not out of variety, but simply out of circumstance, so that when they go back to the synagogue, their other friends can slap them on the back 
Or at least the crowds can look at them and say, man, what a holy, righteous, good guy they are. They're doing this so that they can stand in the synagogue and have the prayer that Jesus chastised when he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man. Because I can do all these wonderful things and look at this wonderful suit that I have on. And I've paraded See, I think this is the kind of way that Jesus would say, when you give, when you give to the needy, do so excitedly. Do so by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Do so obediently as a child of Christ, looking intentionally for ways to bless others and to bless others beyond what they might expect. That is what he's talking about here. And so that's the first of this poisonous piety that sometimes we practice, just giving. And we do it out of religious duty rather than out of relationship. Here's another one. Prayer. Sometimes we can practice prayer out of poisonous piety rather than out of a relationship with Christ. Seeking the Father truly. And so... You may guess I have an acronym for this too, but before we discover what that is, let's read God's Word, shall we? And when you pray, again, assuming that we pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So He gives two no-no's, before he teaches them how to pray. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're now, just so you're aware, we're going to go over the Lord's Prayer, which it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer probably. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer because the Lord's Prayer actually happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. But whatever, we name it what we name it, right? Now we're stuck. So this Lord's Prayer, you've heard plenty of sermons over it probably. And if you haven't, there are plenty of commentaries and books and other study guides that you can So we are not going to cover that in depth this morning. We are going to touch on it in just a minute. But I want to talk to you about the two no-nos that he gives as far as prayer before we go into this acronym of how we should practice it. Poisonous prayer is ostentatious. We, I hope, don't normally see that. But when you do, you know it. It's one of those prayers that maybe somebody would offer before a Thanksgiving meal. Or it's one of those prayers that somebody would offer before some kind of a a wedding or a baptism or some kind of other religious kind of traditional event where they spend 15 minutes going over all these things. Now, is it wrong to spend lots of time in prayer? Absolutely not. In fact, we are commanded, pray without ceasing. But the fact of the matter is what we're talking about here is it is wrong, it would be wrong for somebody to stand up in front of everybody and use a bunch of 50-cent Christian theological seminary words or whatever that are over most people's heads, 
quoting Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic texts so that we could look in some kind of pomp and circumstance in a way that our prayers are somehow closer to God, somehow more reverent to God, somehow more impactful to God than somebody else's? That's poisonous prayer. Another kind of poisonous prayer that I think maybe most of us, more of us can relate to is this repetitious prayer. I have to guard against this in my own life. Repetitious prayer harkens back to, now now this isn't necessarily what I'm talking about, but I'll, I'll tease this out for you. Repetitious prayer that he's talking about that these Gentiles do. Have you ever seen any of the Indiana Jones movies? That's immediately what comes to my mind when I think of this. These Indiana Jones movies where you have these, these people who are, who are down on their knees with their loincloths, you know, and they're holding hands. Oh, oh, Avatar was the last big one that would have been this, around the life tree or whatever. Totally pagan, by the way. Be careful what you watch or at least think about it. So anyway, you have Avatar, if you've ever seen this, or Indiana Jones, for those of you who are a little bit more seasoned in your movie viewing. Okay, and so you have that where you have these people who are on their knees and they're, they're moving in some kind of way, well, you know, going back and forth or, or going in a circle or whatever, and they're chanting the same phrase, the same phrase over and over and over again. And their thought process is that the God, whoever exists, or the deity, he or she, or whoever it might be, is only going to answer them if they say the right phrase in the right amount of time and with the right kind of fervor. And so what they end up doing is trying to work themselves up into some kind of a ecstasy of spiritual lather that then they believe then God has to recognize. And that is poisonous prayer. Let me share with you how I think we more so struggle with that. I think we struggle with that instead by simply not trusting God and continuously praying the same thing, doubting that he'll ever answer it. James talks about that in Scripture where he says, you don't receive because you don't believe. Now this can get into some muddy water of the name it, claim it kind of stuff, and we're not going to go there. You can buy me coffee, we'll talk, okay? But what he's talking about here is these Gentiles, these pagans, who simply, the Jews, who either bring themselves out so other people can see, and they have these great, long, eloquent prayers, and they really don't care about what they're saying to God. They really care about what the people hear, or the people who continuously use the same phrases over and over again without thought. And I want to ask you, and this is one of my things, that maybe if you take nothing else, how often do you say, in Jesus' name, at the end of a prayer, without seriously thinking whose name it is you are invoking. Guilty, right? That's repetitious. That's poisonous prayer. And so instead, Jesus gives us this wonderful template, this wonderful model, and you have it in your Bibles, and so you can look at it, and it, would, it is a template. Can we pray it exactly? Yes. But again, if we pray it exactly, are we not also sometimes falling into the mantra of just saying a prayer just to say it word for word without really thinking through its words? That's why Jesus says, pray like this. And so he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some uh, translations will add because of the different manuscripts. Again, coffee date if you want. But add in here, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then Matthew closes out in 14 and 15. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he gives us poisonous prayer, and then he gives us a template for good prayer. And so I have made an acronym for you this morning so that you can remember all these steps. There are other acronyms out there. I did not invent this wheel. I just sanded it a little bit. So the first one is simply this. Praise. He's our Father in heaven. Holy should his name be. He is worthy of your praise. So in your prayer time, make sure you do not neglect to recognize who it is you're speaking with. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lamb and the Lion. He is the one who saves. He is Jehovah Jireh. There are so many names in Scripture. He is God. The one whose name may not even be uttered by those who are in Judaism. The one whose by name everyone must be saved. The one whose name under which every knee will bow. This is who you're praying to. Praise him. Secondly, requesting. How often do we fall subject instead to just coming to God when we need things and we neglect to praise him? We neglect neglect to actually recognize who he is and his holiness and his righteousness before we come to him with our own, if we're honest, trivial issues. And I'm not saying dealing with stage four cancer is a trivial issue, but I am saying, like Paul says, this present momentary affliction is not to be even compared to the future glory that we have in Christ. So praise him and then make your request known. And then also, in according to Jesus' template here, admit our sins. Admit your failures. Admit your faults before him. For we know that there is none of us, no, not one, who seek after God. None is good. None is righteous. All have turned away. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So we need to confess before our Father. And then lastly, and again, very importantly, we must yield to his will. Is it right for you to pray that your uh, adult child be saved? Yes. Is it right for you to be prayed that your sister or your brother would be cured of that disease? Yes. Is it right for you to pray that you would grow in whatever this or whatever that is? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we also must yield. We must yield to his will, his sovereignty, his rule in knowing that we can come before a holy, righteous God and ask for something that is, in essence, good and that he, in equal amounts of goodness, can say no. And we have to be okay with that. And so Jesus, in this wonderful sermon, tells us two areas of poisonous Piety, which is one in our giving and our dealing with money, and then two in our speech and our talking with God. And then thirdly, he says about our fasting. Seems strange for us in a culture that often does not practice it, and that alone should tell you why we must talk about it. And because it's in the Bible, and that's how I roll. So fasting. He assumes we fast, if you look with me at the next section, the last section that we will cover for this morning, 16 through 18, this is what he says, and when you fast, maybe for some of you that is enough right there. Have you fasted? Do you fast? 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Are you noticing a pattern here that there is a reward to be gotten from this also? But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, a lot of times when we see this, we think, oh, anointing your head and washing your face, that's just normal hygiene, okay? So what Jesus is saying here, we think anointing your head, we think something special because we only tend to do it during special things, unless you have a beard, and then you probably oil it. And if you don't, you probably should, right? I don't know. Anyway, that's an inside joke for a couple of you. So here's the deal. He assumes we fast. First thing would be, do you? If not, there's your application point for this section. If you do fast, and I hope that you do, because he assumes that we do, he tells us, don't screw up your face and have one of those resting whatever faces, right? And don't tell all your friends that this is what you're doing. Don't show up to Thanksgiving dinner, sit down at the table, and when everybody's passing things with a crusty look on your face and people say, what's wrong, say, well, I can't eat, I'm fasting. Just get out, okay? So here are the principles, and of course, you've guessed it, an acronym. Here's what Jesus would tell us to do. Firstly, we have to understand what fasting is. We tend to think of just food, maybe for you if you're diabetic or you have other kind of issues, maybe fasting from food is not for you. What fasting means is to simply forsake something for the purpose of pursuing God. So believe it or not, you can fast from social media. I know for some of you, that may be what you need to do. You can fast from food. You can fast from certain kinds of food. You can fast for certain amounts of time. What I would tell you is this, because I don't know each and every one of you individually as well as you know yourselves. If you are going to participate in a food fast for any serious length of time, I would recommend talking to a doctor before you do that, especially if you have any kind of underlying things like like diabetes. You need to be wise with how you do this. But the point, what he is saying is here, putting off something that we would normally engage in for the purpose of seeking after Christ. So actually stopping it, not just pretending like we're stopping it, not just minimizing our usage of it. Secondly is attitude. It's very clear from the text. Our attitude when we fast should be one of joy. Again, Jesus doesn't want you and I as your pastor don't want you to fast simply because we talked about it today and you're convicted and so now you're going to do it. You're still practicing poisonous piety then. That's still poisonous. We're just doing it because Pastor said about it. He made me feel bad. No, do it because you want to pursue Christ. Do it because Jesus assumes that you would be fasting. And so therefore, you're like, well, then I guess maybe I probably should because I love Jesus. And So make sure your attitude is correct and you're doing it for the right person, which is Christ, not your wife who wants you to lose weight or vice versa. But we don't talk about that, right? and or your kids or whatever, right? It's got to be for Christ. Third thing, seek. Don't just fast and then not change the rest of what you do. I know this is going to be really weird to some of you guys. A perfect time to fast is when you're already on vacation. And you're like, no, it's not. 
Yes, it is. Do you know why? Because you don't have to deal with work then. You don't have any other responsibilities. You can truly devote yourself to seeking after God. And some of you, when I just said, fast on your vacation, if you're honest, in your heart, you said no. Why? Question yourself then. And then lastly, I don't know if I did this one enough credit, but we've got to move on. Think. Again, this, I guess these kind of go in tandem with one another. Actually meditate on the things of God. Actually spend time in Scripture, thinking on Scripture. Actually spend time then in prayer. And so ultimately, for the last section of this, what we're talking about here and what I've said, and I hope that you have this, is the difference between being pious or being poisoned. Jesus doesn't want you to be poisoned by Christianity. Jesus doesn't want you to be poisoned by religion. Jesus doesn't want you to be poisoned by the church. What Jesus wants is for him and you to have a personal and intimate relationship with one another. I can't tell you how many people have told me they don't come to church or they left a church because somewhere, somewhere down the line, somebody harmed them. And my response to them is always, well, then aren't you glad that Jesus isn't the church and that you can come and worship Jesus and not worry about the church? Because Jesus doesn't want you to practice poisonous piety. He wants you to have a personal relationship. And so in 19 through 34, which unfortunately we ran out of time and we cannot talk about, I am thankful that it is in your Bible, which you can read. He tells us the reason he wants that is because ultimately in this life we must choose. We must either choose Christ or self. We must either choose money or master. But what a testimony it is when a Christian actually chooses Christ. So, Rowan, we're going to, we're just going to do this. That's all the part we're not covering. Aren't you glad you have a Bible? 19 through 34. You can write that down and check that later. Let's end with this. Do you know they milk snakes? I bet you don't believe me. Google it. It's true. They milk snakes. That's what, this is what this means. They will have this wall of poisonous snakes from various places around the world. Some idiot has that job, and he grabs them out of the cages, right? I'm thankful that they have this job. And they have this little cup. It's like a silicone or rubber top. And they take the snake, this poisonous snake, and they mess with it or jab this cup in its mouth enough for it to sink its fangs into the cup. And its poison is then extruded from its glands into this cup, and they collect the poison. Do you know why they do that? To make something called anti-venom. You're right. Cures. And so they will take that poison, 
and they do something to it, and they take whatever is out of it, and that is the active agent that they, they will give these people who come in contact with these serpents, who inject the venom into their bodies, they give them this to actually cure them from the disease. You know that Jesus has the anti-venom to poisonous piety. He has it already ready for you this morning. Do you know what it is? It's the cross. It's injected by the nails that went through his arms and his legs. It's his blood. And by applying his blood, the venom of poisonous piety, if you've been hurt in the past, can be rendered null. And so I would invite you this morning, whether that is where you've been, whether you've been bitten by the serpent of poisonous piety and and Christianity, I would invite you to come back to the cross, to come back to Christ, to come back to the Savior. And to instead from practicing poisonous piety, rather come back to true, real relationship with one who created you and loves you and died for you. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the sermon that you have given on the mount. We praise you for your word and what you've done for us and how you've, how you've done everything for us, given us everything that we might be called to you. So God, help us. In our sinful hearts, we so often go back to that which is comfortable, which is the poisonous piety. But instead, you look at us like that foolish king, seeing past all the outward pomp and circumstance to the nakedness of the heart. Help us to be something, the men and women of Christ, that you would long to then have fellowship with because we are practicing relationship rather than religion. It's in you that we can do that. By your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise.